let's get into it. Um, again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, like I said, I, I started this podcast, The Sports Shop, because I'm a teacher here in California. And so I wanted to really educate some of the kids that don't really understand what it takes to get to the next level. Um, I was fortunate enough to earn a Division One scholarship to play at San Diego State when I was playing. Um, and it was hard work. And, and there was a lot of things that people don't really notice or realize what it takes to get to that level. Um, I came across your profile on TikTok, um, saw your journey a little bit, and I, I was immediately interested in seeing, you know, how you got to where you're at. Um, so I would love to, one, introduce you and, and you introduce yourself to the audience, and then uh, we'll kind of talk about where you started and where you are now. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. So um, um, first things first, yeah, like tell us who you are and where you, where you came from. Um, my name... My name is Guillermo Ruiz. Um, I was I was born in Madrid, um, but I was raised in Austin, Texas. Um, I lived in Austin for 17 years. I played ECNL and DA back when DA was a thing. Um, I played high school ball. My senior year, I played uh, varsity. I was a captain. And after my senior year of high school, I moved to Spain. I played on Real Murcia. I signed for Real Murcia, a club in the south of Spain. I signed and I played for their U19s while, um, and then throughout the year, I started training with Thunder 23s. I played with Thunder 23s. And then in January of 2022, I started training every day with the first team. the first team for Real Murcia, which is a very famous name, but at the time we're playing in a pretty low, low division. They were in the fourth tier. And I trained with them every day until the end of the year. And then after that summer, so I went back home. Once my U19 season finished, I the club let me go home. I went home to Austin, was there over the summer. And when I came back to Spain to start preseason for Real Murcia, because I signed a two-year deal. Mm. I signed for my last year of U19 and my first year of, well, professional soccer, so to say. Um, over the summer, my agent called me and told me that Real Madrid decided to buy me. And now I play for Real Madrid's C team. They're under 21s, their second reserve team. Um, and I'm on a three-year contract. Nice. So that's that's kind of the basics, yeah. so to say. That's awesome, man. Um I wanted to really get into where you started. Um, I like you said, you you grew up in Austin, Texas. What age did you start playing soccer, and when did you really think like this is the sport for me? So I started playing soccer when I was four or five years old in Cali. Actually, my dad he um, he had a fellowship at Stanford okay. for a year, so we lived in Palo Alto for a year. That's where I first started playing soccer. When I came back to Austin, I played soccer for for Lone Star Soccer Club, which, I mean, I played for them since I was, what, eight, nine years old. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that was, that was honestly, like, the club that I, I mean, again, that's, like, that's my entire life in Austin. And I played basketball. I did tennis. I did swimming. I did a lot of sports as a, as a kid. My parents really were, like, go at it, do whatever you want, like find your, find your calling. And I think I was just better at soccer than any other sport that I, that I had. I was, I kind of had just like a natural love for it. Mm. I was drawn to it immediately. And, uh, when I was nine, 10, that's when I decided, yeah, I'm going to stick to soccer. And that's when I quit all their sports, at least like on an organized scale. And then once I was 11 was when I chose to be a goalkeeper. And that's when I really stuck to, to goalkeeping. Yeah, not too many people want to be a goalkeeper just because, you know, everyone wants to score the goals. I was, I was a defender, so um, I was put back there because I just couldn't score goals. And, you know, I, I ended up loving it, but everyone wants to, you know, be up top and, and have all the glory. Um, talk about a little bit about your DA and ECNL, like, experience. Um a lot of people, obviously, in, in today's society, it's the MLS Next, where, you know, if you go there, you're basically getting looked at to play at the next level for college. Um, and what was the decision to go and play high school soccer? Because I know DA, when I was playing soccer, it was only DA. 
you couldn't do high school. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to um, sign my my letter of intent to, uh, my junior year of high school, and then go play high school my senior year um, once I was mm-hmm. done. So just talk about that um, decision and the, those experiences at the DA and ECNL level, and deciding to go to high school. So that was, that's actually a really really good question because not a lot of I was kind of I was forced into a lot of things, um, not by me, by the situations that Austin, as a city, went through. Obviously, mm-hmm. Austin's growing, and it has been growing for a very long time. And part of it growing was the fact that there was no organized professional teams. Yeah. Um, and when I was when I was um, in Austin, Austin FC was really big. They wanted to bring an MLS team to Austin. We were hyped. It was such a great idea for us. And then they came in, but they said, we're only going to have an MLS next team for U15. And then COVID, COVID came in and I was, I was in the middle of my second year of U17. I was a sophomore or no, I was a junior. I was a junior in high school. And through DA, I was getting looks at by pretty, I was getting looked at by pretty good colleges. I had Villanova on my radar. Um, Villanova were really big for me. I had, to a point, I had Stanford. I had, I had like a lot of schools at that point. Like the yeah. recruitment process, I wasn't really deep into it. Mm. Um, but I had like a little bit. And West Point was also following me. And then once COVID hit, everything shut down. Yeah. DA released a letter a week into the pandemic saying, hey, we're, we're cutting it all, which was which was a really hard hit mm. because I realized that I had to play ECNL. And although it wasn't really a step down, it felt like it because obviously and within Lone Star, we had a DA team and we had an ECNL team. Mm. So for us, it felt like we're all getting bumped down. Yeah. And because DA shut down, I was forced to play ECNL because COVID killed all recruitment process and the most important year for recruiting mm. because junior year is the year where I mean, I had the ball rolling with Villanova and all of a sudden it stopped and I was so hyped about the opportunity maybe be going there and then it got cut short. Yeah. Um, so out of panic, West Point offered me and I decided to commit. Um, I committed to West Point for some time and a lot of the guys in that class, there was a lot of us, We a lot of us committed and I've seen on their social medias and stuff that more than 80% of us have decommitted or left or decided to not go to West Point because West Point, what they did was they offered scholarships at a time when they knew we were all stressed. They knew we were all worried. They knew everybody was panicking. Um, So I committed to West Point and that halted my recruitment process, obviously, with every other school that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my senior year of high school, playing ECNL, I gained a lot of weight because of, I mean, just like personal things. I think like I had a, <laughs> I had a girlfriend at the time and she, obviously she wanted to eat out. Yeah. I would eat out with her and mm-hmm. then I got injured and obviously eating this, you can't eat the same when you're injured as to when you're playing. Yeah. And I found myself going into the second semester of high school being 220 pounds committed to West Point, not wanting to go to West Point. And with no other options to go to college because I couldn't speak to any colleges apart from the fact that even if I did want to, I was strictly an ECNL and high school player. Yeah. And at that point, my profile wasn't a profile that a top D1 program is going to want. Nobody wants a guy that's only playing high school, that's overweight, that isn't even playing at the ECNL level because the coach I had for two or three years was it felt like he had a vendetta against me. I yeah. mean, I wasn't, I wasn't playing my minutes. He had a thing against me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's what led ultimately to the decision of taking a gap year, trying my luck in Spain. And then, I mean, that's what led to all this. I mean, yeah. I never would have thought that it would lead to this. I was going to Spain in hopes of Villanova saying, okay, he's proved himself. Mm-hmm. We're going to take him back on. Um, so, so that's kind of how DA and ECNL kind of shaped my, my, um, me getting here because at the end of the day, like, I think without COVID, there's no way I'm in Spain right now. Yeah. 
I like I like that you touched on that point. Um, because a lot of kids in, in today's world, they believe that just because they're playing the, that three-month high school season, and yeah, they may be absolutely killing it, the way the, the soccer world is, is, is you're not going to get the looks that you potentially would want. Um, and then going into the fact that when you're injured, there's a lot of you know mental stress about committing and not taking care of your body. Um, it takes a heavy toll, and a lot of athletes don't like to talk too much about mental health. And it's a huge part of not only this world, but in the world of sports as well. Um, and I really did like when you put on like on your TikToks and your videos um, talking about your mental health and being open a little bit more about, you know, the weight gain and everything else, because um, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And to see where you went and to see the route you took, it's not the traditional route that everyone wants to take. You know, everyone wants to go. Um, I mean, obviously scouted to the U.S. national team and then, you know, signed or go to D1, MLS draft, MLS, and then, you know, go. But you took a, a, a unique route where you still pursued your dream. You still worked hard, but you knew what it took to get to that next level. Um, touching on the, the COVID year, I wanted to ask, it was that time where they were allowing another year for certain for the for the athletes, right? Because they they lost yeah, that year. So, so that's why so the recruiting process. Athletes as well. Exactly. It was it was brutal because colleges couldn't contact you. They couldn't do any sort of recruitment at all at the time. So I lost a year, and then apart from that, us as a class going in, not only were we fighting with the other, let's say, 10, 20 million athletes or that from across the world, and Americans that were feeding into that freshman year we were fighting with all those seniors that were staying back from yeah and i don't know if this is just a trend now that's happened since covid or if it happened before but now more than before i see rosters such as marshall and Pitt and virginia where all their starters are 22 23 24 yeah i mean smu smu was fielding a player that was 26 years old two years ago <laughs> and i think it's ridiculous yeah. because how 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 is a freshman can you want to go D one when you're when you're not only competing with your class, you're competing with a guy that's eight years that when you were in kindergarten, this yeah. guy was finishing his freshman year of high school. Yeah. So um, obviously with um, with COVID, I think it really really changed the scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm going back to the to the mental health thing. I did want to say something about that. Yeah. Here at Real Madrid, I've my club has made me speak to two psychologists. Every player on the team is monitored by a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Every player in the club is monitored by a psychologist. Um, the mental health and the being able to put up with the stress, accepting that some that there's not you can't control everything. There's so many factors that go into into this job. Yeah. Not only your performance and your mental health can take a massive toll. I mean, I can I can tell you that me being so far away from home mm-hmm. and being in a culture that even though I speak Spanish fluently and I'm Spanish and I can socialize and stuff, I'm it's not it's not Austin. I'm yeah. far from home. Yeah. And there's so many things that I need help. I, I, I we just as people we need help. So mm-hmm. um I think that definitely the more and I think that's why I speak about it because if somebody like me and if other athletes can speak up and say, hey, we all get help and like mental health is something that you have to take care of, I think a lot more people will be open to it, especially because nowadays I feel like people can be ashamed of it and it's just yeah. like, no, yeah. we all have our backgrounds. We all have stuff that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. We all have people like people we want to, like we all have potentials we want to live up to and all that stuff. So just get some help. Like it's fine. And yeah. that's, Something that I think this year I've definitely taken more into account than others. Like my mental health, my prioritizing it, and I mean, here I am, so. I appreciate that, man. Um, So, again, looking at some of the videos and some of your journey, when was the time where you went to Leeds? I know we talked about it a little briefly um, over the text message. What was that that time period like? Um, Was that before you made the jump to Spain? And how was that, you know, recruiting process or that scouting process? So Leeds was, it's crazy how it all ties into everything I'm saying, because I think, so Leeds was, 
my sophomore year of high school, that's like the end of sophomore year, there was the DA showcase in San Diego every year. And I went to that showcase, a lead scout saw me there, asked me to go out to England. I was in Spain visiting family, so I was like, sure, I can stop by England. I went on trial there, and when I went on trial there, um, I remember being really excited, but also being really scared, mm-hmm. not knowing what the environment was like. I mean, the first day, <laughs> the first day I went to the trial, I remember I went dressed in my Lone Star training clothing because I didn't, I never thought they were gonna give me training clothing that I had to go dress. And I guess small things like that that made me realize yeah. like I'm so out of place. Here. <laughs> um, while I was on trial there, there was four guys from Spain on trial there. Two of them coming from a Barca Academy, one of them coming from Las Palmas, mm-hmm. and the other one coming from Rayo Vallecano. So these were huge names yeah. that I was I was competing with or that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And the trial really it was a slap in the face. Yeah. It was saying you're and I remember because at the end of the trial we had a meeting with the with the scouting director and with the um, academy director. And they told me, Look, we're gonna be honest with you. You're a good goalkeeper. We're not going to deny you that. But there's a million goalkeepers like you in England. We're not going to waste an international roster spot on you. Wow. Thank you for coming, but we can't. We're not going to have you. And I thought, okay, that's fine. Amazing experience. I'm so happy to have lived it. Thank you for this. Um, I'm going to go back home and kill it. And whenever I went back to the U.S., I, I came back with so much confidence and I think I had I had definitely had a bit of arrogance, which mm-hmm. was not a great thing to have. Um, my mentality was I just went to Europe, and not a lot of people go to Europe. Yeah. Like I should, I think this should be rewarded in a sense, or I think that my talent should be at least perceived. Mm-hmm. And the first weekend when I the first league week when I started up that season, my coach benched me two games straight on a trip on a trip to RGV when I missed school and I paid for that trip. And right after that, I I wanted to talk to him. And instead of him letting me talk to him, he told me, no, talk to my captain, talk to your captain, which was one of my teammates, which I thought was incredibly insulting. Yeah. I spoke to my captain and he was saying things that were getting me really riled up. And I, in the middle of the meeting, I stood up and I left. And I said, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to be told that you don't deserve to play when I've paid for a trip, mm-hmm. when I pay to play at this club, yeah. and when I've missed school and I've missed my other duties for this. Yeah. And from that point forward, it all came crumbling down. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like my, I felt exiled from the club. I wasn't playing. I was... <laughs> I was called the Achilles heel of the team on, on occasions in training in front of my teammates. I was constantly beaten down. Yeah. And I realized that my performance from that point, from that point, from that weekend going forward, I never went. I never had the level which I had had in England. I never had the level that I had had those seasons before where... I was getting where I remember Granada and um, Deportivo La Coruña were also were also keen on me. Mm. I completely lost all progress in my ability due to lack of confidence and to, due to an exterior situation which I couldn't control. Yeah. Um, so. No, go ahead. So it was brutal, but but um, but I mean from that point on once I left that environment and I took care of that mental health and I went back to having confidence the next time I played with confidence was the year where I was at Real Murcia yeah isn't that crazy I though I had a year isn't that crazy yeah. though the, the fact that confidence can literally make or break a career um, especially you know in America where you have those pay to play models and I'm totally against it um, I, I voice my opinions quite a bit um, you're losing so much talent by having these pay-to-play clubs and because some kids who may not be able to afford it could be the some of the best kids possible or or wanting to work harder than some of those kids that can afford it and just because of the the structure that we have in u.s soccer it's it's killing a lot of our talent and we see it 
but we're just not making a change. Um, but I liked how you touched on the, the confidence aspect of it where you can be the best player, but if you have someone just absolutely berating you, you have people all against you, you know, it, it takes a toll on you. No matter how good you are and how, how mentally tough you are, um, it really does break you down. It breaks your confidence down. It breaks your you start to really be in, like, insecure about the, the decisions you're making on the field, and it just affects everything about it. Um, so that's tough, and, and I mean, that's that's I've gone through that a little bit um, growing up in my club scenes. Um, I had a coach tell me that um, I'm only good enough for JUCO, and that's probably it. Um, so that I had to prove him wrong, and you know I was able to earn a Division One scholarship. But it's just when you have people that don't look for a solution but they're just telling you what it is or at that moment maybe i was a junior college player at that moment but there's nothing wrong with that because everyone like like i mean you're a living example everyone has their own path no matter if i went to junior college first and then went to division one but you don't break someone down because you may think or may have an opinion at that moment no yeah i'm i think it was (laughs) like that seeing seeing that and then coming to spain which in spain the system here works on potential, but there's so many other things that they that they look at. And whenever I got here to Spain, I remember I my first game I balled out for the U19s, and then my second or third game was against Elche. Very important game. It was like it's a it's a rivalry game. I went out for a cross. Somebody came out in front of me. I went to punch it. I whiffed it. The ball fell in, in the middle of the box, and they scored my mind immediately shot back to down the Achilles heel of the team. That was so bad. That was terrible. I'm going to get subbed out. I'm going to get benched. After the game, my coach called me over and he said, we all make mistakes. If you made, if you did everything perfectly, you'd already be in the first division by now. Wow. And I remember from that moment forward, knowing that it was like, he wants me to take risks. He wants me to get better. Because he knows that me finding my limits and finding and ex- and go pushing myself is only going to make me and the team better because I'm going to be able to do more things. Yeah. And from that weekend on to the end of the year, I I was doing things that I've I've never done before. I, I've I've in my first training session with Real Madrid, I remember going in telling myself just have the same confidence that you'd have as if you were playing with your friends on your mm-hmm. field first training session I megged the player that came to press me and my, <laughs> my teammates were like who the hell is this guy like we don't know anything about him and all of a sudden he's megging our players like what's he doing um, but definitely definitely confidence is like you said I think and with the pay to play system I don't think it's it gives the coaches too much power. It gives there's there's just so much there's so many there's so many things. That's, that's, a, that that's a discussion for another day. I got to get you on and talk about the play to play model. <laughs> um, so talk about how like how did you get out there? Like you took that gap year. Um, did you already have connections because you're from you know Madrid? Um, did you sign with an agent or find an agent, a family friend? How did that that process work? So. Um, I would do Atletico to Madrid summer camps in the summer. Um, I loved being around soccer, and I always told my parents, like, oh, if I'm in Spain, uh, I'd love to do a camp, stuff like that, which, like, all, obviously all of this, I owe my parents a shit ton. Yeah. Um, sorry, oh, I'm sorry no, if I can't curse. No, no you I, can, I, you can, you can, you're fine. I owe, I owe my parents so much because they've supported me both emotionally and financially through this, which was something that I couldn't, I couldn't have ever asked for. Um, and they would send me to these camps. I had a connection, and whenever I knew I was taking a gap year, I texted a friend or a coach that I, a coach that I had met here, and I told him, "Hey, I'd love to get a trial uh, in Spain." And he said, "Look, with your reputation, the best I can get you is like the ECNL equivalent mm. in Spain. I can only get you trials there." And I was like, "Sure, I'll do it. Like it's better than nothing." I'm sure the ECNL level in Spain is better than the ECNL level in the U.S. Yeah. So I may as well do it in a better country and try something new. Yeah. Um, my grandmother lives in the south of Spain in Murcia. Mm. And one day in that summer getting ready for those trials, 
I I was like doing everything possible like to lose weight, all that stuff. And at this point, I was like, I was leaner. I definitely wasn't lean, but I was like two hundred five, maybe two hundred. Mm-hmm. And um, I go down to a field in a town of like fifty thousand people, forty thousand people. I was hitting balls against a wall, turning and hitting long balls, and just doing like basic training drills. And a scout comes up to me and says, "Hey, I've never seen you in this town before. Who are you?" We spoke for some time. We had a conversation. He said, I want to see you train. But as a goalkeeper, I'd love to see you actually train. And I told him, all right, get me out to a training session. Tell me where and when I'll go. Mm-hmm. I went to the training session. He told me, I think you're pretty good. Do you want to do a trial here in this part of Spain? And I can offer you better than this. I can offer you um, U19 MLS next. Mm-hmm. And I said... 100 percent i'm yeah. doing it and i went on trial and that guy later turned up like he later connected me to who was my agent during that year mm-hmm. and then um i signed for Israel murcia and then i mean from then on like it's what i told you I, I signed for them two years played for them and then moved to real madrid yeah that's awesome just by you know being out there working hard you get scouted and i mean in those countries the country's a lot smaller than the u.s but having those scouts all over the place you and you never know who's watching and a lot of people don't don't understand that like you may have a bad game one day but then the next day there could be four or five scouts there you just never know and you just gotta you know keep your head on head down just keep working hard um so now let's talk about real madrid um so you obviously get scouted get there i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people wanting to know real madrid um, what was it like? I know you said you you went in there with a lot more confidence. Um, what was it like being able to put on that badge? And before we get into this, I want to let you know that I'm a Barcelona fan. So there, there's going to be a little rivalry, but I like you, so I'm going to support you. I just never support Real Madrid. But what was it like putting on that badge and just knowing the history of the club and then getting to know some of these other players who are, I'm assuming, from around the world and obviously who are very talented um, what was it like uh, going into that kind of locker room and, and just being around it? So, actually, I'm kind of lucky in that sense. Um, Real Madrid's C team isn't fully their C team right now. They bought a team, like a club roster, okay. in within the league system. Yeah. So we're all, all the players are technically on loan, and we have to wear a different badge. Mm-hmm. But we train and play at Valdez, like the training city. Mm-hmm. We just don't have to wear the badge. Mm-hmm. Which, for some people... They don't like it because they're used to the badge. For me, it's kind of like it helps because it's it's somewhat of an introductory year. Yeah, I've grown up a Real Madrid fan my entire life. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having to go from twelve months like in the summer, twelve months before putting on a Real Madrid badge, being somebody that didn't have a club. Yeah, I think that if I had to, if I had had to put on a badge from day one, I would have been kind of like whoa this is kind of, this is different. And, um, I mean, the first, so, and then walking into that locker room, you walk into a bubble. Um, Real Madrid and higher level academies are all a bubble because everybody knows everybody. Um, And for me, walking into that bubble was kind of different because everybody knows everybody, but nobody knew me. Yeah, I was a fresh face. I was somebody that nobody could have known who I was because I had one teammate at Murcia who had been at Real Madrid when he was 12 years old, mm. and that's it. Nobody else. I, I had no connections into this world, so I signed for the, the club not knowing anybody, yeah. not having a single connection. And whenever you start training, start working, start sharing the living space for almost eight hours a day because in preseason you're there at the sit like at the training ground almost eight hours a day. Yeah. When you're in that environment, you realize like what it is. Yeah. And you see how how much people take care of themselves, how everything is just it's just another level. And you realize that Real Madrid, and it makes you realize that if you're there, it's for a reason. Mm. I went in with a little bit of imposter syndrome, being like, 
I don't really deserve to be here. I'm nobody. This isn't my place. Yeah. And I went in thinking all these guys are going to be from Madrid. And it's the opposite. Um, Real Madrid doesn't have a lot of foreign players, which is actually kind of crazy. And they signed me not knowing that I was American. Hmm. Um, they signed me thinking I was just Spanish. And yeah. my coach was surprised when I told him, like, yo, for vacation, I'm going to have to go, like, for winter, I'm going to have to go back to the U.S. But um, you realize that Real Madrid does what they want. And if they want a player, they'll get it. All these players, we have five from the Canary Islands. We have a bunch from Seville and from that area. We have a lot from Catalonia and from Barcelona. Mm -hmm. We have players from the north, from all over Spain. Yeah. And whenever you realize, like, if you're there, it's because Real Madrid wanted you Mm. and because they were willing to do whatever it took to get you there. Yeah. It kind of gives you a boost of confidence to like okay, all right, let's, like, let's get this done. Let's do it. Yeah. And, um, but, like, I, it's just, it's so, so intimidating from day one. It's intimidating, but, like, like everything you get, you grow used to it, and you learn to adapt. But I, I still wake up every day, and from my apartment, you can see the training grounds, and I wake up every day, raise my blinds, and look at the training grounds, and I think, I can't believe I'm here. I think this is crazy. <laughs> Living life. Um, all right, so let's move on to uh, a day in the life. So what is your typical, you know, wake-up time, uh, breakfast, trainings, weight room, everything? I want to go through a day in the life of what you do. All right, so um, every week we have the same schedule unless we get to, unless we keep two clean sheets or – have just have a really good weekend. Um, so there's an intensive Monday. Tra- <laughs> mo- yeah. It's Monday recovery training for the players that didn't play. Like they catch up with the game players, um, on workload mm-hmm. and then the players that did play do recovery Tuesday off Wednesday, high intensity, but like it's, it's really high intensity, but it's not Monday intensity. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or no, Thursday, Friday, you're prepping for the game on Sunday, mm-hmm. going through tactics, going through how they're going to press, all that stuff. Saturdays, um, then Fridays and Saturdays, we do film. Friday, we do film about us. Sundays, we do film. Or Saturdays, we do film about the other team. Saturday trainings are light, more um, fun somewhat. We do challenges a little bit. We play um, small-sided 4v4s, 5v5s. Getting, getting competitive, getting into that winning spirit, getting into that, Yeah. all right, let's go get it. Sun, and then Sunday's games. And it kind of repeats all that way around. Um, training always starts, training or film. Um, so film days, we do film, train, then lift. And our days always start at 1030. We're, we're told that we can get there at whatever time we want, as long as we're there before training. I personally like to get 30 minutes before training to put on my, my gear. Go get, and then if I'm going to go get treatment, I go about an hour before. Mm-hmm. So my typical wake-up time is about 8.30 or 9 in the morning. Um, my breakfast is always 40 or 50 grams of cereal with 200 grams of protein yogurt and fruit and then coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have a diet plan. I have... I try to take care of my body as much as I can. So um, then go to the grounds, get ready, go to training. After training, um, goalkeepers are on a different lifting schedule than the rest of the team um, because players have different workloads, have different things, stuff like that. Yeah. As goalkeepers, we chose to talk to our um, – I don't know how it's called in, in English. I only know the terminology in Spanish. Um, preparador físico, like our gym. Yeah, like preparation. The person who's in charge of our physical, yeah, our preparation Sh- guy. Strength and conditioning Physical coach. trainers. Yeah. Yeah, conditioning coach. Um, we spoke to him and said, we want to go on our own lifting schedules. And they said, all right, fine, until they find my us. So I do chest back Mondays, Tuesdays, um, shoulder, biceps, triceps. Wednesdays, I typically like to either do core or light legs Thursday push Friday pull Saturday Sundays no lifts mm-hmm. um, 
training and then after lifting, we're done at about one thirty two. I go down to the locker room, shower, get dressed, and then we eat in the cafeteria where we're given an entree, a carb, and a protein, along with water, dessert, which is normally fruit, which whatever you want. Um, we eat lunch, the team together, and then like whoever's done at a certain point, because sometimes some, people, some players will get treatment, some players stay longer in the gym, some players stay a shorter time. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, at about three, we're left to do whatever we want. Um, we can, if we want to hang out, we can hang out. If we want to go out, grab a coffee. Um, because we're all above 18, none of us are staying at the at the team allocations. Um, Real Madrid has, obviously, a um, housing department for all their under-18 kids. Yeah. Um, now that we're adults, we all have our own apartments, um, and we all live all of the people from the club or from the team that are not from Madrid live in the residential areas of Valdeuas, which is three minute drive from, from the training grounds. Yeah. And so we all stay pretty close together. And then if we want to go get dinner together, go watch a movie or anything, then we can just kind of do whatever we want. And that's, and then I normally go to, I'm normally in bed by 1130, 11. And then for me, it's about lights off at 12. So I can at least get eight hours of sleep. Yeah. And then if I get more, then sick. And if not, then not. But that's typically a day in the life. It's awesome, man. It's very scheduled, very detailed. And, and you know you know how to take care of your body. And the, the you prioritize that because a lot of kids, like I said, that I watch, they just eat the crap, the, the junk food. And yeah, you can do that at 14, 15 because you're going to burn it off. You're naturally, you know... Um, being able to run, but when you start getting into those older years, it's gonna it takes a toll on your body. And I I didn't know that how much it really affected me until I got to college, because mm-hmm. you know when you get to college, you you experience some things and um, you have a little bit more fun, and you know it, it takes a toll on your body. Um, have you seen any of the first team players? Have you been able to interact with any of them? So that's um, that's probably. It catches people off guard. Um, Valdebebas, like the training grounds, are huge. There's 18, there's 18 oh, pitches. There's 18 wow. fields. And the academy, like the the training grounds are divided in, like, in three groups. Mm-hmm. There's first team for men. There's the women's first team and women's academy that mm-hmm. normally stay within a few fields. And then there's rest of the academy. The rest of the academy, we're all in a wing. We're all down a probably 200, 300 yard, no, not that long. I'd say like 150, 200 yard long corridor with the cafeteria and all that stuff in our locker rooms. And then on the outsides, there's three fields. So there's six fields for the entire academy. Yeah. And us, we, we're kind of confined to these areas. Mm. So unless you, you're called up to train with the first team. I see. Or yeah, or you're up with them. You don't ever really see them. Mm. I like sometimes whenever I'm driving out, they'll drive like I'll because my exit is in the is at the back. Their exit's to the front. Mm. But to get to my house, I have to go through the front. So sometimes when I'm driving back, I'll see one of them leave, and there'll be like mobs of people following them and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> so, but like apart from that, I don't. We don't interact with the first team at all unless you're called up to train yeah. with them or, or play. Have you had any conversations with coaches about like you know the potential or what what do you need to get to to get to that level or you just kind of working right now just not focus on that? So all of the players. So obviously, once you're at like for us, once you're at Real Madrid and you're, I think whenever you start really taking soccer seriously in Spain at least for Real Madrid players, it's once you're on the U19s, once you're playing in the youth league. Yeah. That's when you've kind of decided, like, okay, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. I'm going to make a living out of this. Mm-hmm. And um, for us on the on the C team, our mentality, because as much as, as you want to believe it or not, we're the second reserve team. There's a possibility that we get to someday be on the first team. But in reality, maybe we'll get up to the U23s, but it's 
Mm. It's kind of hard. And yeah. I mean, it's a really competitive environment, obviously. So you have to be as much as you, as much as it can all go for the best way possible. It can also all go yeah. bad or sour. Mm-hmm. So you have mm-hmm. to be ready for both. Um, so I think the majority of the guys' mentalities on the on my team is we want to make a career out of I want to make a living out of play. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to be almost impossible for me to make the first team of Real Madrid. It's it's going to be I I know that it's a very low probability, but I know that I can also make a living out of this. I can play until I'm 35, 36 and pay my rent, pay my bills, support myself and live a good life yeah. while doing what I love. And as long as I can do that, I'm not going to complain. Okay. Um, obviously, if that means playing in the second tier of Spanish football for 10 years, five years, that's a great career in my opinion. I'm, yeah. I'm making a good living because that's the thing as well. Like whenever, whenever you see, I said, like Holland making 500k a week mm-hmm. or Mbappe making mm-hmm. a million a week or all that stuff you think wow what a crazy contract I wish I could get to that and you see you see the players that you play against every week you think those people they're like plumbers or stuff like yeah, that yeah. <laughs> in reality once once you get into this bubble and you talk to people there's a there's a like there's a gray space in between which I think is a lot of things that people that like which is a very misconception of the U.S. It's a really big misconception of the U.S., for example, where it's like, wow, he's like, for example, oh, who was it? Like, people are talking bad about Ricardo Pepe, for example, for mm-hmm. playing in the in the um, in the Dutch League at 19 years old. To me, I think that guy's going to make it so far because he's 19 already playing in a top-tier league where the players he's playing with are making six figures or more yeah he's gonna make a living out of this sport yeah and i feel like people don't look at that gray space in between where for example players in the there's players in the third tier of spanish soccer making six figures or more really yeah i mean and i think even last year there's like a possibility that players can be in the fourth tier of spanish soccer making six figures and so you tell me that there's a possibility to, to live with six figures playing soccer for the rest of your life, I tell you, I'm I'm so I'm so down. I'd love yeah. to do that. Because it's not obviously you're not gonna get to live like Mbappe where you're traveling in a private jet and all that stuff and you're like the face of GQ or whatever. Yeah, you're not gonna get that fame. But if you genuinely have passion and love for the sport and mm-hmm. love what you're doing, and there's a smile on your face every time you have a ball around, why would I ever turn down a six-figure a six-figure contract to get to do what I love. Yeah. So no. I feel like that's that's kind of the mentality for a lot of the guys here. Where it's we know it's going to be very hard for us to represent your country or go to the World Cup or stuff like that. Maybe some of us will. Maybe some of us won't. We never know. But we we know that we'd love to keep doing this and supporting ourselves through our ability to kick a soccer ball. Yeah. Absolutely, man. If you if you're able to do that, and that's your only job is to play, I mean, who wouldn't want that? You don't have to worry exactly. about you know a nine to five. You you literally just have to wake up, take care of your body. Obviously, it's it's competitive, it's difficult, but it's a game that you love. And um, if it's if you're doing something you love, it's not work. It's 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 an enjoyable life. Um, do you ever see yourself if the potential, or if there was a possibility, do you ever see yourself playing in the MLS? If you if if you were asked to come back to the U.S., or would you rather stay in so, Spain? So, so with the MLS, for me, the MLS is something that I will I don't want to go back to anytime soon. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good league. I think it's growing. I think that the talent there is good. Obviously, I think it's a, it's a there's there's high level. I'm not I'm not taking that out of the account. But I took a risk coming to Spain, coming to Europe. If I'm like, I, I don't know why I would go back to the U.S. anytime soon. Yeah. I have, obviously, I do still feel very American. I feel like I'm a very American person. I feel like I'm driven by a lot of American things. And I think, I mean, I'm talking to my parents and to my friends. If I end up having the 
if my career model, let's say, goes to plan, my plan is at 34, 35, go back to the MLS and maybe you're not starting, maybe you're on the bench and you're just there covering. But I would I would go back to the MLS only at a later point in my career. Okay. Um, because that's more of a personal thing. I think I... I, I think I can last in Europe. I think I can make a living here. And I think I can be happy here. Yeah. But I know that there's a hundred percent a point in my life where I'm going to want to go back to, to the U S and I think that if it's towards the end of my career, I, I would not be opposed to going back because regardless, if once I retire, I know for a fact that I want to go into coaching and I want to okay. go because seeing, seeing all the negative things that some coaches have, have put into my life and seeing all the bad stuff yeah, and seeing where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I think with all the experience that I have now at 19, if I imagine what I, what I'm going to be when I'm 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, yeah. if I can put my 40 years of experience into coaching and help kids try and get to where I've been fortunate enough to go, I think that would be the most fulfilling job i could ask for yeah so that's where i'm at um i started coaching i think my sophomore year of college i kind of knew like you know injuries and and i was good club player i got to d1 i was not a very good d1 player and you you start to see that and i, I realized where i was you know um very early on and I, I i wanted to be part of the game i always was a smaller center back i had to think a lot smart uh, better than most people because i wasn't very fast um so i, I was really mindful of my positioning I'm mindful of like you know how to get myself out out of positions and I, I really took to coaching and it, it is one of the most fulfilling things I, I just got recently hired as the head women's soccer coach at a community college here uh in San Diego um looking Congrats. to get to d1 d2 hopefully you know just keep moving my way up but one of my biggest things as a coach is building that foundation level of of discipline and also you know um self-advocacy being able to advocate for yourself and, and talk to, you know, a coach and say, hey, look, coach, I'm not feeling it today. Um, I need, like you said, we talk about the mental health and being able to have those conversations is, is one of the most important things. And um, I respect it a lot when, when I have a player that can tell me, hey, today is not my day. This is what's going on. And you're teaching them to be better human beings in the long run, because most coaches can just, you know, outright and be mad that, hey, you're, why aren't you training today? We have a game next week, blah, blah, blah. But the game doesn't matter in the in the grand scheme of things. We're we're teaching everyone to be better human beings, and that's what sports about. Um, so I appreciate like you being, you know, going through these experiences, wanting to give back to the community, like myself. Like I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, because I want to set these athletes and these students up for success in life. Because not everything is you know ro- uh, roses and rainbows. Like you had to go a different route, and and you had to go through trials and tribulations to get to where you were. And now to be able to give back is something that, you know, I, I, I know will be self-fulfilling for you after a long and, and, and successful career that I know you're going to have just because of, you know, the work you've, you've gone through and, and you're willing to go through to get to that point. Um, so I, if, I, if I were, if you were ever needed a job as a coach, I would definitely hire you 100%. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad to know <laughs> Thank you. And I also want to... Obviously, give you congrats on on your job. I'm glad that you you see it the same way that I do, and that you're willing to give back. It's, yeah, it's always great to see. Um, yeah. So I, crazy the how life works, and how you're you know at this giant club, and being able to use some of the connections and 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 things that you've gone through. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions. So if you had to choose one of the biggest ones, Messi or Ronaldo, who's the best player, and why? If I had to choose between what? Messi or Ronaldo? <sighs> Messi. Okay. I think Ronaldo. I think Ronaldo is a superhuman. I think I think Messi's an alien. <laughs> there's just a difference. Ronaldo can do. I feel like because the thing is, we're gonna see other Ronaldos. Holland's already turning into Ronaldo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't we're that. we're never gonna see another Messi. Like that guy is just. Yeah, we're never going to see that again. Who was your, uh, who was your idol growing up as a player? Iker Garcia. Iker Garcia? That's, yeah, he was my idol with everything he went through. and Yeah, 
hundred percent. You guys see that? Okay, I mean Real Madrid legend. I I can attest that I did like him as a goalkeeper for the Spanish national team and everything <laughs> else. So uh, I do like some players, but Real Madrid as a whole is just you know I have that Barcelona blood in me. Um, <laughs> if you can pick an ideal starting eleven, I can give you like obviously some time to think. Not a big deal, but ideal starting eleven through any player that has ever played. I'm gonna write them down, and then you can tell me what where you want them to play. So just pick your starting eleven. Of all time. Yeah. Casillas in goal. Mm-hmm. Puyol, Puyol, put him at right back. Okay. I want um, Maldini at center back. Give me Sergio Ramos, other center back. Nesta, left back. I love a solid defense. I don't care if you can attack. I just need <laughs> you to be a solid defense. Okay. Um, Xavi and Iniesta as the two sixes. I'm gonna give you a four-two-three-one. Okay. Give me Ronaldinho at the ten. Okay. Give me Zizou left wing. All right. Give me Messi at a false nine. All right. Oh, I have one player left. Yes. Oh, dang. <laughs> You're missing, you're missing your right winger. So this this one is strictly off personal taste, and I don't. I feel like this might be a bit blasphemous to all the players that I'm gonna exclude from the starting eleven. <laughs> but give me Di Maria. Di Maria, really? Di Maria, when he was at Real Madrid in 2012, was one of the most entertaining players to watch. That is true. I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. So it's a bit blasphemous, I'll admit. Like, there's a lot of players that I missed out on. But I think that from players that I've seen and from stuff that I've seen, obviously, I'm not going to include Maradona and Pele because they were past my time. I can't say anything about them. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's that's my ideal starting 11 for sure. That's an interesting. I mean, if you go to a World Cup or a final with that team, a Champions League final, World Cup final, whatever, you know, Di Maria is scoring. So that's that's always good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's gonna he's gonna get the job done. One last question: Are you the only American ever to be at the Real Madrid uh, training center, or so? Oh, so I'm. There was one American player before me, mm. uh, um, Joshua Nadal who was, but he was in the Real Madrid Academy at, like, under nines, under tens. Oh, like, count. he was very, very young. <laughs> I am I am the first American player for Real Madrid's Academy because Real Madrid's Academy is, like, it's divided by Cantera Baja and Cantera Alta, which is kind of, like, low academy, high academy. Yeah. I am the first American player in Real Madrid's high academy, which is, you you 16s and up. Congratulations. That's that's an honor. That's an honor to have. But Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I'm very proud of that. I can't lie. I am very proud of that. <laughs> that's awesome, man.